computer and then I got to go live on YouTube. I'll let you guys know when we're live. Do I have to be fingerprinted for this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you already have been. We get your prints. Yeah, a few times. <laughs> Why are my fucking glasses? Yeah, I didn't get clearance from Mike Shea yesterday. I'd say, listen, Mike, you notice, because me and Mike were up together. We are actually kids together. And uh, I said, you know, no stories about this and that and the other. You know, half the people are no longer alive. Is it okay? And he's like, no. Hey, whatever you want. Well, okay, I mean. guys, we are live. We are live. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm here with my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Doing good, man. I pulled a, a blast from the past out of the woodwork, you know, and uh, you can introduce him, Mark, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you after you introduce him, I'll tell everyone who he is. <laughs> <laughs> after I introduce him, you're going to tell everybody. I'm not telling okay. who he is. Just tell who he is. <laughs> All right. Our guest tonight is John, Man uh, John Monahan. He's a retired NYPD captain. He's an author. He also owns a professional uh, professional school. He's going to tell us what that's all about. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you. Good to be here. And How I, are you? As I said Good. before, I, I met John in 1990. We're two old fuckers, you know. In the in the two six, we both got. He got promoted to sergeant six months before me, and then I got there, and uh, the place looked like Dublin. You know, we had we we, yeah. we had John Monahan, jo John Egan, right? A couple other John Egan, yeah, yeah. Did McManus follow us there? Or he yeah, yeah, McMan yeah, McManus. I was like, what the hell? Am I in Dublin here? This is crazy. You the know? hole in the donut. That's right. That's right. The hole in the donut. So yeah. I worked in the 2-6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was in the squad. Oh, nice. You got a lot of sleep. Five years. <laughs> hey, the 2-6 squad can be crazy sometimes. Well, you got, yeah. You've got uh, Columbia University up there. Yeah. But they had good security detail there, right? Oh, that was the best. They used to hand you cases that were pretty much complete. All you had to do was go get the bad guy. Nice. You had a picture, you, you, a couple of photos, uh, you know, uh, every all, all, it was like a what pattern. What Mark? What year were you there? Oh, man. We had Pete Puccino as our CO, right, Billy? That's right. He died. Oh, nice he died, Pete Puccino. Yeah, he died young. Yeah, that was a shame. He was a very nice man. He was a nice man. I was there five years before 2012. So 2007, I was there for five years from, I guess, 2002 to 2007. Jeez, we are old, Billy, huh? I've been retired for a number of years. I just had a birthday. I don't even want to tell you how old I am, man. Oh, I can figure it out. 61, <laughs> 62. I'm actually 64. I came on when I was 64. Yeah, I came on when I was 28. Oh, wow. I was tending bar. I was mixing drinks. Uh -huh, cocktail uh -huh. waitresses two at a time. People couldn't. <laughs> you like Duke Feeney, my first partner. We used to call him the oldest rookie. He, he was 28 when he came on. Is that right? I mean, everybody was 20, 21, or 22. I know. You know something? I felt if I would have came on when I was 20, I was way too immature at 20. To oh, well, I'll tell you what. I was immature at 22. Yeah. I came on at 25. I felt old. But, um, yeah. So, listen, I just mentioned Duke Feeney. Now I got I got to do some shout outs here, guys. I got the egg yeah. squad. I got the English boys out in Brooklyn. I got to give shout outs to, you know, McManus crew. We mentioned McManus already. Hey, we, we got to sell some coffee mugs. See this? 
Yeah, what is this dipped in butter shit? I was just on the phone with Joe Kane, and he goes, you ever hear of this? We got a group text with the A squad. Let me tell you about the A squad. Dipped in butter is something we what say that? that a guy on this job who's lived a charm life, we say his balls have been dipped in butter. Never heard it. You never heard that expression? Never heard it. He that's had a, a hook. Famous I mean, topic. <laughs> he had a hook. Charmed life. You know, I heard that, yeah. His uh, balls well, are dipped in butter, so we, uh, we put it on our cup, man. We so just listen, got I to... understand I'm going to get one of these cups, Joe told me. <laughs> we just, we how good just, you are tonight. <laughs> we, we just got these, um, and they went out to all our uh, subscribers for our Patreon as a Christmas gift, and they've been they've been very happy with them. Uh, we've got a lot of positive feedback, and uh, you know, I was a little nervous. This I, I like the white cup. Bill is uh, prefers the black cups, uh, but I was really worried about but... the mug uh, because I was wondering if it was uh, if it was just could handle coffee or was it good for vodka? But yeah. apparently, it's holding the vodka just fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's microwave safe. <laughs> hey, that's big. You ever throw a cup in there and you don't check see if it's microwave safe? Yeah, and you yeah. Grab the handle and you're like, ah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah. It's not only is it dipped in butter, it's dipped in vodka. That's right. That's right, man. <laughs> so let me tell you about the A squad then real quick. Duke Finney was my first radio call partner in the 5-2. His cousin, Tommy McTurner. Did you know Tommy McTurner? He was in the 4-6 squad. Anyway, he was partners. You know John Mendocino, right? The name sounds familiar. No, well, they were partners. And Joe Kane was in the squad. We were all together in the A squad. Remember the nice squad chart? Yeah. 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 Well, exactly. I don't remember, but I, I remember it. You know, it was still in it, Billy. When we got to the two six, Steady Tours was just a pilot project still, and and the the nine squad chart was still in place in the two six when we got there. <laughs> but yeah, so we were the eight squad in 1985 through 88, and uh, we still got together with the wives. We're on vacation, everything. It's uh -huh. great, man. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a beautiful thing that you would befriend somebody on the job. And, uh, you know, get to know their families and you go away together. Yeah. You know what? We went through all the, like, we all got engaged around the same time, started having kids around the same time. The wives all became friends. And it's just, here we are all these years later and we're still friends. You know, it's nice. It's nice to have people to cover up for you, too, you know? Well, uh, we don't need covering up. <laughs> when everybody, we don't want do anything he's covering up. <laughs> when everybody's looking for you. <laughs> Where's uh, John? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was he had a thing, and uh, you know, hey, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me give him a call. <laughs> every one of us, every one of us is married over 30 years. Uh-huh. We had Joe Kane on. You guys are like I know. you and yeah. Joe Kane, man. You guys should be like Irish landowners now. You guys got he's, big bucks. He's probably my closest friend, honestly. <laughs> Where I are shouldn't you? even I shouldn't even tell you this. You see, you see how but I had a colonoscopy the other day, and Joe drove me home. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's that's good. That's a friend. That's a real you friend. You see how he avoided the thing about having big money. He didn't even answer. Where that. Yeah, come on. What am I going to tell you? Uh, Where you want to see the house? Let me show you the house. It's freaking amazing. Oh Where are you? I'm in Blauvelt. What? Yeah, I love it. Blauvelt. No one knows where it is, and I like it that way. My brother used to live there. Oh, Kevin. I know Kevin. Yeah, yeah, I've run into him a few times. Good man. Where's that, upstate? It, you know what I tell people? You've heard of Pearl River, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're a suburb of Pearl River. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. We're just about five miles south of the Tappan Bridge. You're a suburb of a suburb. Yes, exactly. Like, my kid's high school was Tappan High School. Oh, that's cool. 
You yeah. know, I I met your I met your daughter in Scotland. It's like two oh, cool. what a great story that is. Yeah. His daughter, I Mark, I did comedy in Scotland, and his uh-huh. daughter, his daughter goes to school there. Uh, you yeah. Edinburgh, right? She was at Edinburgh. You know, she was doing. Yeah, she's at, she, she was at a Boston bunch of College. friends there, and I was begging the guy, "Come on, let me do more than five minutes." He goes, "No, just five minutes." I was like, "Ah, yeah. oh, shit." Yeah. So I, I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> I saw Billy Cannon on Facebook saying, "I'm going to do stand up at the Barrel of Monkeys." It was the yes, name of the, the place. Barrel Am I right? Monkeys in Edinburgh. Yeah. My daughter's dorm room was across the street. I couldn't believe it. I called him yeah. right up. I said, oh, my friend, Billy's going to be there. She went over with a whole parcel of friends from school. It was what great. a lot of fun that was, man. Yeah. <laughs> was and she's fun. home for the holidays. She lives in London now full time. Wow. She's a writer over there. Yeah. And my other daughter is teaching first grade in Dublin. She okay. just came home for the holidays. Everybody's home now. But and I said, were, you know, they... was Maura, right? Yes, Maura. Maura, yeah. yeah. Maura, yeah. I, you know, I said to her, I said, you know, Maura, get some money from your father. He's got big bucks. <laughs> hey, listen, I paid four years at Boston College, man. <laughs> She got plenty of my money. I, I paid four years for two guys at uh, Elon in North Carolina. That was no slouch either. Nice. nice. Yeah, now, your son was at Edinburgh studying, like, international politics? Uh, Glasgow. He just Glasgow, okay. Uh, well, the University of Edinburgh, but he went to Edinburgh, Dublin, and uh, Prague. Three countries. Beautiful. Yeah. Nice. He, he graduated. He came home and got a job. He's working in the room next door to me. <laughs> oh, he's working from home. Okay, yeah, he works remotely. He's uh, he's uh, got a job in cybersecurity. Beautiful, very yeah. nice, nice. But he still uses my car like it's his, you know. Oh yeah, my daughter. Get him she a just... car. Why don't you well, just get him a car? Get him a car. My, I get. I have a Honda CRV. He uses it like it's his. So give it to him. Buy him one. Come on, can it? Check the yellow pocket. You Find out loud. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. I already gave him like. $160,000 for school. Who else are you going to give it to? <laughs> Who else are you going to give it to? I don't know. Yeah, you're 64, Billy. You know what I mean? Come on. Right, what do you got, I could die, years man. I don't even know if I'm going to use get to use my deferred comp, you know? Start you got to talk now. to Joe Kane about that. He's the man. He's the man. We had him on. You know, he said, cops ask financial questions on Facebook. And all the time, I'm like, why the fuck are you asking a question about your finances on Facebook? Yeah, Remember really? that we used to ask yeah. the old time cops, and they would be like, "Take a pension loan every six months." Oh, Billy, the best thing for you. <laughs> and I never heard the word shortage until I walked into the pension section. Right, right. <laughs> then they explained to me, "Oh, you got a big shortage from all the loans you took." <laughs> but I tell you what, that when I was in a five two, I went into CPOP before I got made sergeant, and there was a guy there who was a real old timer back in eighty six, eighty seven, when deferred comp first started. No one knew what that was. Right. And this old man sat us down. And it was a mandate. Fill out these. He wouldn't leave us, let us leave the room until we filled out all the documents, signed it all, and signed up for this deferred comp thing. I look at name, Al McLaughlin was his name. I thank God for that guy every day, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember the, when I first thought, was going to get into it, my wife was like, oh, we can't afford it. I go, we can't afford not to do not it. Not to, yeah. And I yeah. went in for like 5%, you know. You know. Yeah. Well, you know what? It went up and down, up and down. I closed on a new house, it went down. You know, I got made, it went up. You know what I mean? You could always adjust it, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that's a big shout out. Finest financial. Make sure everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, we gave him a full show, man. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's so let me shout out to the <laughs> let me shout out to these other guys, uh, the English brothers out in Brooklyn. I told them some of them will be watching. Cool. Their father, John, was a good friend of mine. He was he was born the same year as my father. He came on a job in the 50s, this guy. He had Six kids, three boys, three girls. All three boys came on a job. One of the girls married a guy on a job. 
one of the other girls married my brother-in-law, so there's a connection. But uh, I have a lot of fun hanging out with them. And you know, let me ask you this: When's the last time you heard somebody call another guy a doofus? Remember that said doofus? That's a long. That's yeah, a long. Oh my god! Ago. These two guys—they call each other doofus all the time. I left my ass off. I left. Yeah, that word's not used anymore, doofus. No, no. That's why it's so funny when you hear him saying it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I knocked a guy out once for calling me a doofus. Oh, good. I'm glad you went behind the screen there. I can't. You can't get near me. But I was in college too. Where'd you go to school? <laughs> I'm not bragging here, but Queensboro Community College. That's a brag? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he learned the hard way, that guy. Did, did they require SATs? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was a big mistake he made. He was getting on my nerves, that guy, so he had to go. <laughs> he, he learned the hard way. And you know what's funny is that the year later, 1993, I was in the task force. I was doing a foot post and I saw him starting trouble somewhere else. So I'm like, this guy never learned the lesson. He's just a perpetual troublemaker. And, uh, you know, you figure you could knock some sentence to somebody, but you really can't. They're not going to learn until it's time to learn. You know, you, you remind me of this story. I probably shouldn't tell it, but it's kind of related. Before years before I came on a job, you know, I lived in Riverdale. You know, like Mr. Viggs, Riverdale Steakhouse, the Mayo Inn, you know, all these places. Double Days. Remember Double Days? Yeah, I bartended right next door. Remember, there's a little, little Irish bar in the corner called the Mayo Inn? Yeah, I love that place, Double Days. I don't know why they... Yeah, yeah, it was a nice place. Yeah. You know, that was, there was a place on Jerome Avenue by St. James Park called The Lodge. And it was those guys that went up and opened up Double Days. So they kind of brought a crowd with them. With Double Days closed, no one can make a go of it there. It's a no man's land. Wow. It's, you know, you step foot outside the door, you turn left, you're in Yonkers, you turn right, you're in the Bronx. They're calling across the street, you know. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to tell the rest of that story. It's not. Uh, it's yeah, all right. For you, listen, whatever you have that, that thought where I'm not going to tell that story, don't tell it. All right. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. You know, it's funny I, when you said the bar was named The Lodge. I was friendly with the Reynolds brothers who owned PJ Reynolds on, oh, okay. 20, on 20th and 2nd. And that place almost never had women in it. And I would walk in there and I'd be like, what is this, a fucking hunting lodge? <laughs> and he used to get pissed when I would say that. i go, there's a guy over there with his shotgun over his shoulder. There's another guy over there wearing a moose hat. I go, what is this place, you know? <laughs> Wait, that place is still up and running, isn't it? There's a fellow our age that still runs it, right? No, it's closed. It's like a school. They took the whole corner. There's a Reynolds. My wife knows a guy named Reynolds. There's one in Midtown, I think. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. R.J. Yeah. Reynolds or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The guy that runs that place went to school with my wife. You know what yeah. happened? The Reynolds brothers tried to go upscale, and they got a place in Midtown, tried to make it, like, fancy, and it wasn't the right place for it. And it, uh, they, yeah. they went under. You know, they were saloon owners. And the older, the, the guy I hung with, John, he was the manager of Pete's Tavern for, like, 30-something years. Pete's on 18th and Irving. I attended bar there for like three years. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, the Mayo Inn next door to Double Days. That was my mother's brother, Tommy, my uncle Tommy. They're from Mayo. He was, was after hours. and raised in Ireland. Jack Duggan was his name. I just sing Irish song. Mark, can you mute him? Is there a mute button? <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. He's, he's at the control. <laughs> <laughs> That's a downside. So of tell, it. tell Mark, 
John has a school called the Key, and it's a promotional school, and he's been doing it for pretty much for years now, right? How many years you've been? Oh, doing twenty, it? more than twenty years. Oh, yeah, eighty-eight. Yeah. So you will you like the new PBS? Who is that? George uh, George Mullins and who is the other guy? Uh, Frank Connolly. Frank Connolly and George Mullins, two other Irishmen, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I was their student, man. I love those guys. They were great. They taught they, were... they taught you the biz. No, not really. I, I just was a student of theirs, you know. I know. I used to see you at the classes. Right, right. I stole, you know, I, I was like, when the sergeants, when I went to those BMOC, the guy goes, you'll be SFL. And I was like, what the hell is that? He, he was sergeant for life. And that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you retire out of, Billy? Uh, Manhattan North Homicide. Oh, okay. I was there like my last nine and a half, ten years. When did you leave? I left in two, October 31st, 2011. I had had an, almost 27 years I did. I had, I had had enough, you know. Hey, how, oh, I know. how hard is it to start a school like that? Like, what did you have to do? Oh, it was hard. It was hard. I, you know what? I think because, and I saw other guys try and start one up, not make it. And, and you know, for some reason, I just, I just knew this was going to work. It's what I was meant to do. It just I, because it happened quite natural. I was the ICO in a 3-3. I spoke the lieutenant's test. I smoked the captain's test. I think I got the, the highest written score in the city on the captain's test. And I was still a lieutenant. I got passed over. I got jammed up for shooting and all this and that. And so I was a lieutenant for a couple of years. I, like I said, I was actually on a 3-3. And it was, you know, the test, all of a sudden, it was no test for eight years. And all of a sudden, the test came one after the other after the other. I took the 97 captain's test. 96 lieutenant's test, 97 captain's test. And then a 99 lieutenants and captain's test popped up and guys were coming to me, you know, looking for help to study. How'd you do this? What'd you think of that? How'd you figure this out? You know, and we're in my office in a three, three, and I'm basically holding class. And somebody, you know, made a joke. Hey, you should charge us. <laughs> and like that, like that, the freaking light bulb went off. And I thought of Connolly and Mullins and they were pretty much, they never formally retired and said, we're wrapping up here. They never actually said that, but 98 was like their last hurrah. And uh, it struck me, I could do this, you know? And you know what the funny thing is, Billy? I went around to all our contemporaries, because you remember in the day then, you knew who the top scoring guys were, like who the best dude, like Mike Shea, yeah. Kevin Ward. You know, you knew their names, even if you didn't know them. Tommy King, remember Tom, a lot of guys, are Tommy Galati, all these guys, right. Danny Nicholson, they all aced every test. And I went around to all my contemporaries and said, listen, I'm going to do this. Join me. I'll need help. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And a lot of guys, you know, who, no, they were, I don't know, shy or busy or whatever. I couldn't get anybody to join me. If you remember, there was a real controversy in 97, 98. They promoted a bunch of people didn't pass the test. And then they extended the list and then they, this and that. And there was a whole cadre of young guys that came up behind us. They had five less years on a job than us generally. And they all got promoted to lieutenant with us. So we're all in BMOC together. And it was like, you could draw a line across the room. We're the old contingent. Those are the young guys that we felt didn't belong here, you know? Right. And I couldn't get anybody to help me with this school idea. So I started talking to the young guys and they were eager. And I, that's where, that's where my partners came from. Uh, Jack Donahue, Jack Donahue. Yeah. He, he retired as a three-star. He was from the South, wasn't he? At a 2-0. Okay. Yeah. He just retired as a three-star. 
But uh, I got Jack and I got uh, Paul McCormick. You know, Paul McCormick was a CO to 13, CO to 4 1. He's from Dublin. Anyway. See, the Irish connection is everywhere here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Irish mafia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel like the same people that scored really high on NYPD tests would have fared well in on college tests, exams like There's that? There's no doubt, Mark. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Listen, there are, in, in, and I can tell you this, teaching these classes, practicing members of the bar who could not pass the 1996 lieutenant's exam. There are CPAs on a job that could not pass an NYPD captain's test. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind, yes. Yeah, but right. John, conversely, a lot of guys with law degrees smoke those tests too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's people with no degrees that smoke them. I mean, yeah. you know what it all comes down to? It's like I'm going to talk about, this is the way I talk in class. It, it's how hard you're going to study. You know, you know, John, someone named John Fahey asked Monaghan why he decided to hire a civilian to work for the key. Oh, get the frig out of here. How do you know that, Brick? I love that, man. Hey, you know what he said to me one people, time? We got people chatting live with us right now. Oh, is that right? Yeah, there's someone called the Joy Catcher. I hear that happens. More often-minded when young sometimes and fresh good ideas. Oh, lots of Irish in me. La. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. Well, but that guy, Fahey, let me tell you. The joy Catcher. There's people chatting live while we're live on uh youtube oh okay all right good good john Fahey, he, he was in vietnam so you know he's a good 15 years older than us right so he's working the door for the key he wasn't on a job or anything he's just a, a good solid guy uh, you know one of these lifelong marines you know him and jimmy shea hit it off real well they became close friends so i'll break his boss we go back and forth a lot as you can tell by that post he just gave you there and uh, whatever I said, made some wise remark to him. He stands up in front of like hundreds of cops. He goes, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to explain to your cops how a 62-year-old man kicked your ass. <laughs> That's his now, how famous. Did you, how did you wind up in the perfect, perfect spot for a promotional school, the Office of Management Analysis and Planning? Oh, that came years later, man. That came years later. I was that just, was I the was, perfect place for you, right? It, it ended up, yeah. It, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, I tell you what, I started the business. I remember the first the first class was November 17th, 1998 at Fordham University. I rented a room there from them. Twelve guys showed up. Uh-huh. But uh, I lived it and I breathed it. And I tell you what, man, people talk about a 40-hour work week. I worked 40 hours straight. Then I would sleep six, eight hours. I'd go back at it another 40 hours. Had to give the city its eight and a half a day, right? I mean, oh, my God, I worked so hard. I lived it. I breathed it. I loved it. Twelve guys showed up at the first class, but I taught the best class I could possibly teach. And word spread slowly. You know what, Billy, comes down to? They say knowledge is power, right? When it comes to, like, say, public speaking, if I know what I'm talking about, I'm the most confident guy in the room. If I'm not certain, I'm going to hem and horn and, you know, ask, you know, I'm not so sure. I knew that book so friggin' well. I, I was so confident. And then you know what else? I, I had a real desire to help you pass the test. Like I had an us and them attitude towards the job. Like I said, I got jammed up. You know, I went through the ringer with the department a couple of times. I had, my balls were not dipped in butter. <laughs> I had no hooks, you know what I mean? <laughs> my daughter's friends are all here. Hey guys. <laughs> tell, them to, the bachelorette. Tell, tell them to go on the YouTube chat. They can, they can, mess, they can mess with you. Uh, you know what? Give me a second, because they're going to be walking past my office here in a minute. Mm -hmm. This is my daughter that you know, Billy, the girl you met. Hold on one second. <laughs> Listen, Laura, I'm a little bit of a cat. The monkey barrel is. 
That's where I last saw the monkey barrel in Edinburgh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Number nice nice group of kids. Yeah, I'm recording it. <laughs> I wish I wasn't joking. <laughs> That's pretty scary, Mark. I know, I'm kidding. Hey, uh, so uh, go back. Go back to the school now. Um, All right, so we started in 98. Like I said, Jack Dunley and Paul McCormick, and then Kevin Ward came on board. You know what? It started working. It started working because I, I had an honest desire to help you pass this test. I really, really wanted you to do well. You know what I mean? I, 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 that comes across. People know that you mean it, you know? John, Joe Kane's watching. He said your your uh, portfolio just took a huge hit. When you say you had an honest, um, you really wanted the people to pass the test, and you said you also you worked a 40 hour week straight. What you mean by that is you went to work, you worked your eight and a half hours and you went home and then you worked on putting the course together. Is that what you're well, saying? Yes. Yes. What we did was, I mean, developing a lot of plans was a tremendous amount of work. That's something that none of the other schools had done before. So it was kind of unique. We didn't just do questions. I would take a 14 page patrol guide procedure and distill it down to two pages of what you need to know to prepare. If they ask you a question on this procedure, Read the procedure once, but here's the two pages of notes that you'll need to study from. I, I still say it today. Read the patrol guide, study my lesson plans. So I, I made it the patrol guide, 2,000 pages of very technical writing. I turned it into much fewer pages of something you could actually study, you know? Well, John, you know who did that? And I don't know what your feelings are towards him, but... Julian. Mike, no, Mike Pilecki. Oh, yeah, the Pilecki guide, sure. He did a yeah. guide that people yes, swore he did. by, that they just yes, he studied did. for that and, you know, passed Yeah, the that was a good book he made. Yeah. It was a very good book. Yeah. He went into business with PTS. They, like, bought the book from him or something, and it didn't go well in the end. I forget it. My, I met Mike a few times. He was friends with Danny I think they, they tried to sell it without compensating him. Uh, yes, it didn't and go well. Away. Really? And he, and he, had copy, he had it copyrighted. So. Yeah. They, tried, they tried to steal from a cop? Listen, I don't know the details. <laughs> Guys, Mike Pilecki wrote a very good book. That's all right. there is there. Yeah. Mike Julian did the same thing. You remember that, the Julian guide? I didn't, I, it was before me, but I know who he is. Yeah. You no, know, you remember... Uh, oh, yeah, now I remember. Well, Him and John Timoney and... Uh, was it KSA or something? KSA, like that? KSA, that was right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just meant that when, whenever you get involved in a, in, a, in a deal now, and you're the outsider... Um, you know, you can watch Dave Chappelle talk about it for uh, 18 minutes on that Unforgiven thing where he, he got beat on that deal with uh, with Comedy Central. You're going to get beat. It's your first contract. You don't know any better. They, yeah. the other hand, you're going to get beat. It always happens. Yeah. Well, anyway, you know what? We were at Florida. You were asking about the schedule, Mark. We do a class at 10 a.m. till 1230. Then we do another class at 7 p.m. to 930. And I was a one-man band. I'm the guy with the cymbals and a monkey on his back running around doing everything all by myself. Teach a class, get to work. And you know, that guy, as an ICO back then anyway, you could work four hours, come back later in the day and work another four. This way you popped up. No one knew you, if you were where you were coming from. You know? Right. So I, I use that to my advantage. And I would teach both classes. In between, I would be writing lesson plans, writing questions. I was at Campus BMOC. Remember Gold Street in Brooklyn? Yeah. And I'm living up here in Rockwood, pain in the ass it was to get out there. Could take oh, two hours of traffic. I would leave here at five o'clock in the morning, get to BMOC, sit in my car outside Gold Street, writing questions for two hours. 
to beat the traffic and get two hours of work in, you know? Right. I used to work in that building, 300 Gold Street. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I used to do. I was in detective training, so. Oh, okay. Well, we go over to uh, Fly Attack for lunch, right? Yeah. Nice cafeteria over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was good. My stuff. phone is blowing up, but I can't look at it. I'll have to get back to these guys later. So, uh, <laughs> back to the course. So, yeah. So, how long did you have to keep up that pace for? <clears throat> Until I took on partners. I met Jack Donahue. I met Paul McCormick. And uh, it started growing. And I realized this is going to work. We can expand now. And you know what? And people who aren't on a job would be interested to hear this. There's really two departments out there. There's Brooklyn and Queens. And then there's Bronx, Manhattan. You know? And I needed to get out into Brooklyn because the job resides on Long Island. I mean, the overwhelming majority of people live out east of Manhattan as opposed to up north. And I needed a guy that, that people knew, like, like the guys in Brooklyn, they don't know who John Monahan is. The guys in the Bronx Manhattan had, had an idea, you know, but uh, so I did not know Kevin Ward, but he was one of those names of the top scoring people that you'd heard about, you know? And uh, I knew Mike Shea knew him. We were talking about Mike Shea earlier. Mike was another top scoring guy. So I got in touch with Kevin and actually a student, a student walked up to me after class one day and we're going over the lesson. He's asking me questions. He goes, oh, my lieutenant told me that this was some of the best study material he's ever seen. I said, who's your lieutenant? He said, Kevin Ward. I went, have him call me. I'd heard that name from Mike. And that's how I met Kevin. Kevin came up to Fordham. He taught a class. And then, uh, you know, we worked it out that he was going to handle the Brooklyn Long Island aspect of it. And then it just grew into Jack actually got busy. He went to Fordham Law School. He really didn't have the time to continue with this. So he went, you know, he begged off. And then it was myself and Kevin Ward and Paul McCormick. And to this day, it's the three of us still running the show. What, what size did those classes grow into? Oh, they got big. They From got big. From to uh, how many? Two, three hundred in the room. Wow. I mean, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what is we did a, we did a class. paying for class? Oh, it varied. I mean, it was 25 back in the day. And I mean... You know what? Paulie handles all the business end of it. You know what I mean? It's all, listen, Mark's laughing. Uh, you want to see my house again? You want to ask Joe, he'll tell you. But, is, that, uh, is that a behind you? Is that a, a duffel bag of cash? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. When's the last time you saw one of these, Cannon? Huh? Is that a shillelagh? No, no, no. <laughs> it's a, a slapper. slapper. Oh, that's a slapper. I've seen Aren't they, Are they illegal, I think? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think they're allowed to carry okay. Hey, Joe Kane said he worked four hours as an ICO, and he, then he says uh, per week. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I listen. There was no move. There was no fool around there. I had here's who my COs were: Joanne Jaffe and Gary McCarthy. Those two didn't miss a trick. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, Jaffe's yeah. suing the department right now for discrimination. I heard that. Yeah, him and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw that in the paper. <laughs> you know, God, you almost, you, you <laughs> no, went, I thought you your tongue almost went somewhere. You didn't want it to go. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I know Joanne very well. I was her ICO when she was a precinct commander. She made me her shoe fly when I made captain against my against my objections. I should tell you a story about how long I was a shoe fly for. And then she was the chief of OMAP, and I was her captain down there, too. John, you know, we have fans all over the world. Explain to them what a shoe fly is. They don't know. Okay. All right. It, it, a shoe fly is, you know what? You've got a patrol supervisor and rank of sergeant, and he's out there with his squad. He's living and dying with these guys. And then there's a whole hierarchy of people within the command. It's a platoon commander and rank of lieutenant, right? 
And if it really hits the fan, you call in an executive level supervisor. And if it's off hours, they're all gone home. So you have a duty captain that stands in for them. So between all of those people, someone's got to be watching for the petty little rules that in the end, you know, you die at death of a thousand cuts, right? You, you got to have somebody looking at the stupid things that no, none of these people who are living together are going to be bothered looking for. That's who the shoe fly captain is. Plain clothes, unmarked car, go out there and see who's wearing white socks with their blue uniform, which is an infraction, and, and write them up. It's just the most annoying presence in the world. But Billy, you know, it's like you ride up and down the Palisades Parkway over here. Everybody complains about the parkway police. They're such nitpicking, ball breaking. But I'll tell you what, there'd be five fatalities a year on that highway if they if they weren't out there. Right. Because they're a presence. Everyone knows that they're out there. You may never see them for a month, but you know they're behind the next tree somewhere. There's but no you know, fatalities. There was certain, but John, there were certain bosses that went after shit like white socks or I know, shoes. I know. You know, Let me I tell guess, you, my you know, you're a paramilitary organization. You're supposed to look sharp. But I remember one time I called the 1013 and no one showed up. And we had two armed robbers face down on the ground. So we got them cuffed. We brought them in. And as I'm walking in, the CO, you'll guess who he was. He comes up to me. He goes, did you see Cintron's shoes? I oh, fucking Jesus. went off on him. I went where, off. Where, where were you a cop, Billy? First, I was in the 2-0. Then okay. street, then street crime, and then I got promoted with four years and ten months on. Okay. Probably too early. I should have been a cop longer, really. You know. Well, I know what you mean. I got made with just right at my fifth anniversary. Yeah, Wait, for, I had four years, ten months. Yeah, but I had already been. Did in you come on January '84? No, January '85. Oh, okay. I was January. So I had already been in anti-crime for two and a half years out of those four years and ten months. Wow. So wow. You know. nice. Nice. Yeah, well, that was yeah, that was good, and one of them. So, did you have Louis Manetta as your CEO down there? No, I had Anna Moan. Oh, okay. I had Anna Moan was my CEO, which you know, looked how it worked yeah. out. You know. Yeah. Do you mind if I go back to the school for a second? Because oh, I have, a, yeah, I sure, have sure. Uh, a personal reason why, because I'm developing something. So, as far as uh, what was your, uh, you were you using PowerPoints. No, uh, no, how much, no. How much of the lesson did you obviously you got to prepare the lesson? But, um, you know, I'm just talking about uh, the production of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what materials did you have back then? It was just you talking? There was yeah, no yeah. PowerPoints? Yeah, there was yeah. no slides? No. No. You had a book in your hand. And I would say, all right, page seven. You see that box on the right corner here? And then we would talk about that. And then we'll talk about how I created that, what that, where that came from. I handed you a book when you walked through the door, and it was just me talking to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And to this day, I tell you what, I still do presentations for other things. You know, I'm a consultant now and everything. And I walk into a conference room, and I got the screen up there, and I got the controls here for me to do this PowerPoint. I don't do PowerPoint. Look at me. I'll talk to you, and I'll explain it to you. You know, I, I have handouts, Mark. I give them handouts, and then it's, you know, that's you know, one of the reasons. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I had a one-man show. And if you go most a lot of one man uh not one man but one solo shows mine was called 20 and out by the way um they a lot of them use video or they'll use music i, I used music but it was only in between the scenes but the rest of it was me talking i never went to a video i didn't want the distraction and a lot of it's just a distraction i feel 
from going back to paying attention to you. You're, you're messing up the people's focus. This you know what? You can say in a manner of which you, you say them that people will remember. Yeah. They'll pick it up. Yeah. Now, when you take them away to a video or something like that, they lose it. You know, kind of related to that, but at, at the at the heart of that is when someone's selling you something, you know it right away. Cops have got really keen bullshit detectors. And if you're trying to sell them something, they know it right away. If you're sincere, they know that right away too. And all, you know, like if you're teaching any academy or you're teaching somewhere else, you're looking at the clock. Oh, should I got an hour and a half to fill here? What am I going to say? Maybe I'll do this for 10 minutes. I'll show them a film on that for 15 minutes. That's bullshit. You know what I mean? We were here for a reason. We were here to help you do better on that test and we meant it. The less bullshit that I wanted, nothing but classroom time with you. And that's what made it difficult to find good teachers. We went through a lot of different guys and there were guys that had big reputations and that were lively guys, but they didn't know the book well enough. Then there were guys that knew the book like this and they just didn't have the presence in the room. You know what I mean? And then I'd, I'd come across a guy that was great and I would elevate him and, and do everything I could. You know, we had some great guys teaching for us over the years. I'm sure you like Jimmy Shea, his brother, Dermot. Dermot taught for us for like 10 years. I got this guy, Ralph Salento today. Did you know Ralph? No. Ralph's a great teacher, great teacher. I yep. should tell you a quick story about Ralph. He gets, he was doing, oh God, I, there's too many stories and half of them I can't tell because there's behind the scenes stuff going on, man. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it went well. And I, I and I can't build, you know what, Mark? You're talking about like a, a business model? Uh -huh. There's nothing special there. What made it successful, honestly, was the attitude of, we want to help you. You know, the motto on the website is the school founded with your success in mind. And it's not bullshit. You know, I meant it then. I mean it now. You know, I read so many intermortals. Billy, can you imagine still studying intermortals all these years later? Oh, I'm still studying them. My eyes bleed some days. Every day I'm studying intermortals still. They can drive me out of your mind. It's so dry. It is. But I, you know what? Not when I'm done with it. I, I, I you know what I mean? I, I take it. And sometimes I read it and I still get annoyed at the department. Like, I understand that they're writing for legal reasons that, you know, like you said, Billy, I, Mark, I, I was the commanding officer of mods, management orders, directive section. I was the last one to sign off on an intermortal before I went to the printer. I was so surprised at how many people had to sign off on it. The chief of department, chief patrol, legal, labor relations, you know, like so many people had to sign off on these, every little sentence before it got published, you know? So I do understand that, but nobody had an eye on the end user. How are the guys in sector at, I'm going to read this fucking thing and follow it. You know, right. you know what we were missing, Billy? I'll tell you what, you know, I did 15 years on the street and I loved every minute of it. I made captain. I went to, to Harvard for a year, came back, went down to headquarters and I was appalled. Like I didn't, you know, I just didn't like it down there for a lot of different reasons. But now I'm writing policy. You know what it was? You were, you slipped in the hall on the butter that dripped out of the butter truck. The butter, all the, the butter policy. that was dripping. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I read that article. You posted an article by Louiana Mahone yesterday or today on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. I read the article. And, you know, towards the end, the true Louiana Mahone comes out. He basically said, you got to get rid of all these do-nothings in these in headquarters. Oh, I you love know, that. I love that. was best line. But you know, something that'll never, ever happen. But that he's right. <laughs> It'll never happen. I know. Yeah. What did he used to say? You know what? Look I compare people. They became cops because the post office wasn't hiring that day. 
<laughs> you know what I could you know what I compare the one PP people to? The bodega cat. Tell me why. <laughs> because they they just lay around there the useless pieces of shit like a bodega cat. <laughs> you know what you remember now compare like the two six to like when you were in street crime. No, no, not knocking the two six. I enjoyed my eight months there, whatever. Right. But when you're in a quiet when you're in a busy house, there's no time for bullshit because right. We got each other's backs. We're out there, shoulder to shoulder, going at it. You know, in a place like a two six, there's none of that camaraderie because we're not living and dying together. You know, John, I'll tell you one thing. I didn't like the two six, and one oh, of the, really, one of the you know, things I hated about the two six was everyone in that precinct was somebody's contract. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. no, you can't grab him. He's the captain's bucket. Oh no, you can't grab him. That's the lieutenant's uh, shoe shiner. You can't. Yeah. You know, everyone had yeah. some other role, but what they were. You know, right. And, like, and it was missing a camaraderie, you know, you know, it wasn't an outpost in enemy territory. Like no. he just didn't have that feeling. So now I go down to headquarters and I realized this whole freaking building is full of people that, you know, they're not, they're not actually fighting crime together. And it, it was just a whole, you know what? I, one of the first times I had to walk in and wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase, I stopped and look up at what is essentially an office building. And I realized this is why I dropped out of college. I don't belong here. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do well here, you know. And I didn't. I didn't enjoy myself there at all. I really did not. The commute sucked. Oh. A lot of other things about it sucked. But so you're reading the interim orders every day. So obviously, when you read the interim orders, there are things currently that are changing about the job and the way they handle them. So you mentioned you get pissed off. Do you ever get pissed off at the direction the job is going in? You know what, Mark? I do for about a minute, and then I let go of it. And I go back to work. Because otherwise, I would be consumed by it. Matter of fact, right now, I'm working on a case. You know, the, the, the unions all just got together to sue the city council to get an injunction on that new law that they just passed. You know, which one, the diaphragm law? The diaphragm law, yeah. I'm, I'm working on that case with the unions right now. Uh, it's in a, you know, it's always been in a patrol guide. It's always been in a patrol guide in, in language you can work with. Don't sit near, stand, or you know, inhibit their breathing or blood flow. That's been in the patrol guide since we were on a job, and it's in language. You know, I just explained this to the attorney the other day. When you look at the patrol guide, when you're talking about, say, you know, an administrative function, you can use language like "under no circumstances," "at no time," "never." But when you get to the tactical part of the book, you cannot use that language. You have to use language like when feasible and consistent with personal safety, or when possible, things of that nature. You cannot take strict language and apply it to a physically tactical situation. You cannot. And this is what they're trying to do. Right. And it's not tenable. And how do you explain that to someone that has never been in the field? It's really hard. But like, I think that they do know what they've done, and they simply don't care. You no, know? they don't. You know, John, well, I wanted to just quickly get to that, too, is that I, I have a an interview tomorrow with um, two people in regards to the uh, DOI report that just came out, which is, is scary. It's actually scary. And if you read what Eric Adams just said about it, it's even scarier. Because if that guy gets elected mayor, you have a... He might, too. He might. Yeah. It, it's possible. But a scary... Did you know scary him on a job? Guy. I never met him. He was a captain, right? Yeah, he was a captain, but he had a, a reputation as a do-nothing. He was an activist as a cop, basically. You know, I remember the 100 blacks for law enforcement. That's what he was. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yep. 
Well, you know what was missing? What I felt when I when I got down to headquarters, and I'm writing policy, and I'm sitting at the policy table with all the chiefs and inspectors and everybody, and I realized something. We're a paramilitary organization, right? And much like the military, you've got civilian leadership, and then you've got uniform leadership. And there's a, a distinct separation there, you know, like the PC and the first step are not uniform members. And, and the uniform then takes its marching orders from the civilian leadership and, and applies it out there. The, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff down at the Pentagon, right? The Joint Chiefs of Staff, their officers are down some hallway. There's a conference room, I guess, in the middle, right? And there's one guy who shares an office on that hallway who sits at that table and has as much say in the matter as any of those chiefs, and he's a sergeant, the sergeant of the army. And he sits there and he tells them when they're going off course from the angle of the end user, we have no such place, nothing in place in the police department. And it's something we really miss. And when you read these intermortals, you realize they need, I mean, you know, the unions play that role. This is not the military. We go home at night. They don't feed and clothe and house us. I understand all this. But to throw down these orders that are just untenable, some of them are just untenable, you need to have that perspective at that table when it's being written, you know? Well, John, they came up with 20 recommendations. One of them, and I-, I, I Who's this, the DOI? Uh, Billy, I don't, I, listen, if I get hired to do a case, Regards to that DOI thing, I'll right. study it I'm, then. I'm, I'm not studying the goddamn thing. I'm just going to read you this one. Number seven. Through both training and policies, NYPD should expand incorporation of differentiation methods into their protest policing to reduce reliance on indiscriminate enforcement approaches that fail to distinguish between those engaged in peaceful First Amendment activity and those engaged in violence or property destruction. You tell me how you can do that when rioters are interspersed with peaceful demonstrators. How do you tell who are who? Right, right. You know what they were pissed off about? All disorder control people have been doing what they do for decades. They've gotten very, very good at it. And they have a thousand or a couple of thousand people coming over the bridge, spilling into Manhattan. And they set it up where they split them into two groups. Then those two groups got split again. They bifurcated them out, and there was no issue of there was no crowd big enough to do any damage. They did such an excellent job, and they were furious, the leaders, that they were basically defeated at that point. And that's exactly where that came from. They called it kettling. I had a lawyer yeah, on the phone I saw not that. too long I, ago. I read yeah, that. they were asking me about kettling. I said it's a term I've never heard, not even once until you said it have I ever heard that. It is not a policing term. It's not a disorder control term at all. But it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, what? What? This is. The, the basics of disorder control. And they're upset because it worked. So now they want you to do it differently somehow. You know, are you a bad guy? All right, step this way. You're a good guy or step that way. Come on. But John, you know something? If you look at not just the NYPD, but other departments during this se seemingly year of disorder, I watched Chicago get pelted with fireworks and rocks and frozen water bottles. And I said, what are they doing there? What is the point of them being there? If they're not allowed to do their job, if they're not allowed to break up the crowd, are they there to be the representatives of government that gets the shit kicked out of them? Yeah, exactly. You yeah, well, that, so that shouldn't be, though. They want you to be able to beat on, beat on somebody, beat on these cops, 
and hopefully you can get your frustration out because at the, at the end of the day, it's all about the administrations, whoever's the administration handling it. Like they took away so many of our weapons during this uh, past George Floyd demonstrations. I didn't see a helicopter. There was no horses. Finally, they took the bikes out of somewhere, but it was just basically if they would have, if they could have, they would have had you out there with no helmet either. When people say that the NYPD laid down and let it happen, mm. it just pisses me off to no end. You know, we made 4,000 cows in the first two days of those demonstrations. But they don't well, want 4,000 cows, Billy. You know, That's fair. You're talking about four days and then it was done. If you go to these other cities, which I, I know they would love to keep cracking at New York, but it just doesn't happen. They won't allow it. But you go to Oregon, you go to. Because um, they didn't make 4,000 cows. Minnesota. That's why it's still continuing out there. We made four thousand cows in this town. Uh, you know, listen, and I, I, I people badmouth Dermot, and it, that pisses me off too. He's one of the best guys you'll ever know. And you know something, he, what he's up against with that mayor and that city council, they hate us. They want us to fail. You know that this department, this department broke its all-time record for gun collars this past October. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. That's freaking phenomenal. You know. The old time is when we came up, Billy, we were working anti-crime. Oh, you guys don't know shit. You don't know what we know. And then we come of age and we say that about the young guys behind us. You know, it's all bullshit. It was bullshit when they said it about us. And it's bullshit if we say it about these guys. They broke the old time record for gun collars in October. That's really laudable with no anti-crime. I mean, yeah, maybe it's because the bad guys feel freer to carry today. Yeah, which, you know, here's another thing. When they talk about bail reform. These fucking politicians talk about bail reform. And they went, they, they ignore statistics when it works against their agenda, right? Yes, of course. Of course. Right. So That's then they grab too. a hold of statistics when it works for them and they say this is the small percentage of arrested persons who were released on bail recently. So it really does not have an impact on crime. Like, oh my God. The atmosphere in the street is what bail reform has created. There's no repercussions. I get locked up. It doesn't matter. I'm out tomorrow. Right. That's what you've created. The statistics don't. Now, so now we're the ones saying the statistics don't matter, you know? But anyway. Yeah, yeah but, you know, there also is this uh, a theory of uh, give him enough rope to hang himself. So all the, see, all these people that get arrested, like, for example, in the protest, if you give them the opportunity to get a DAT, what do they do? They go right back to the protest. And if they're going to be active again, they're going to get collared again. So now at some point, there's going to come a day where you're going to get called that last time where somebody's fed up and they're going to see that you have this whole history of getting arrested because you might have been out. Yeah, well, who's that, Billy? I mean, Mark, who's that? Some judge? It's, there's no judge going to do it's, that. It's not even a judge. It's just going to be like they're going to do one more stupid thing and then that's the whole history is going to come up. Guys if, I, if, I, if I locked you up you're going to, uh, on a Friday, you're going to spend three days in the tombs. The, the rest of the, uh, the protest is over for you. You've had enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but but now it's not days in the tombs. They're getting out that same night. Yeah, and that's my point. Yeah. It's like you get back out, and where do you go? You go right back to get you know, arrested again. But you know, an interesting to uh, statistic is that one out of seven arrestees are from out of town. Yeah, that's oh, another protest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what made this whole all these protests so hard to deal with. <clears throat> you know, they don't know who the cop of the month is. The neighborhood people there, you know, if if they're protesting whatever, and they see the person that always helps them. But now it's all. Oh, listen, the, the average human being that lives in those neighborhoods, they don't want the police defunded. Everybody no. knows that that's no. the truth. They, but they now know that that's the truth. You get these now outsiders coming in 
and they don't care. They don't know who the cop of the month is. They don't know these guys are good guys. And they, they're the ones destroying everything and looking to, uh, to, to create anarchy. That phrase, defund the police, came out of Minnesota. And I thought, I've never heard anything so stupid in my life. Then it came to New York. And a few thousand people, or maybe not, maybe not even that many, were outside City Hall June 30th, right, the deadline for the budget, screaming and yelling and waving their banners. This represents like one one-hundredth of one percent of the population of New York City. And as you said, Billy, most of them weren't even from New York City. No. And the city council took this as a justification to go and do what they did. I could not believe they cut the budget of the NYPD. They, it's like we gave the keys to the race car to a bunch of idiots that have no idea how to even start the engine, and they stripped the fucking car and left it on blocks. Yeah. The NYPD is, is the best department of its kind in the world. I'm not bragging because it's us. We have the volume, the experience, and all of that. And, you know, we've evolved so much on bringing down complaints, making calls without as many stops. All of, We've done it all. And they, they caught our budget based on a fucking slogan for a thousand idiots in the street in well, a city of eight million people. You listen to a thousand idiots in the street. Well, it was the worst political move I ever saw. I couldn't believe it. I worked in the academy uh, um, after I retired. I worked for um, uh, it was called Cucks. I, I was doing crisis intervention, how to handle mental illness, because I'm an actor. So I do, you know. I'm a professional actor. So I went there and I would act every week. I would act in these scenarios. And wouldn't you know, the program got defunded, right? But who, when they say he got defunded, who did it affect? Because those cops, they're still on the job. Now us, all the actors, which I was the only one that was retired out of 19 of them. And then all the clinicians, um, they all got let go. Right. So the only yeah. people that you're really hurting is the outside people that are coming there for training yeah. for the most part, because they, they can't get rid of the cops. Yeah. You know what they did recently? You mentioned clinician and, uh, you know, Billy, like you remember the patrol guy, the EDP procedure, you know, isolate contained, call right. the captain, you know, if they resist you, don't, don't push it, blah, 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 right. unless they come at you, you know, and then you look at 208 in the patrol guide, the arrest chapter. There's none of that in there. There is now. There is now. They're taking the basic tenets of how to handle resisting EDP, and they're starting to plug it into to await the arrest procedures now. They don't want you fighting with them. If, if a guy says, I remember one guy one time, we were making a call up, and I, he looks at it. He, it like, the decision's made. He's bleeding. There's the bat. You did it. It's like, Donnie, get out your cuffs. And the guy looks at me and goes, you're not taking me to Central. <laughs> Holy shit. Pull out the sticks. Here we go. You know, uh, today. The funny thing is, is, is that most of the collars that you're going to get are usually freaking EDPs at some well, point. Yeah. I mean, who who's in their right mind at that moment? Yeah. So when, it, when a guy puts his hands up, says, you're not taking me. Uh -huh. Okay. Treat him like an EDP. Now, listen, the, the, the prideful part of myself wants to say, that's bullshit, kick his ass, you know. Right, right. Uh -huh. but, but why? Why? What's the point? Okay, if you want us to play that game, fellas, call duty captain, and let's play that game then. You know what I mean? I mean, look, what's the reality? If you made 100 callers, maybe 15 or 20 of them fought with you. 80 of them didn't fight. Listen, if you got older, you got better at it. You could talk them into cuffs, you know? Yeah. That's another thing. Uh, listen, you talk about isolating contain. If you run into somebody like that and you figure out he's an EDP, 
If you're lucky enough, you close the door, and in the future, they're gonna call up the clinician, let him, yeah. let them yeah. talk him down. Yeah. And call then violence interrupters. I need some, a violence some, interrupter. some squad car is gonna go pick up of the violence interrupter, bring him to the precinct, and then the guy's gonna be banging chairs off the walls, and they're like, "All right, you can go in there." Yeah. You know, we used to be able to laugh at academia and agree to disagree and say that's a lovely idea. I understand how you came to that conclusion, but it's not going to work. You know. And, and we would agree to disagree. They have overwhelmed us with their theoretical nonsense ideas that will not work. And now they're in a position to defund us and to make laws that direct uh, us. Let me, let me stop you there for one second. There, de Blasio has already said, accept these 20 recommendations by DOI or, or basically you're out of here. I mean, how is that even asking the police is this stuff feasible? Is this stuff legal? Is this going to work? Is it, you know, these, these academics, not, most of them just lawyers with no right. experience are giving 20 recommendations, which you must adopt. And Dermot right. Shea said the other day, oh, he thanked the lady who wrote this shit. And, and you know, and I'm not putting down Dermot Shea, but he's in a big political position. Uh, what's her name again? Her name is, I'll tell you in one second. Her name is Margaret Garnett. She's a Yale undergrad and a Columbia Law School. That's it. She's a de Blasio, you know, radical clone. So in other words, she hasn't put handcuffs on anybody ever. In uh, and no, and I don't know if the rest of the DOI has either. They threw no, one DA. One DA was on loan from Vance. And I don't even know who the other 20 or 25 people You look are. at that whole movement. It's about, when you talk about defunding the police, it's just about taking money away from blue-collar workers and giving it to academia because now all of a sudden yeah. you want to take you want to oh really you want to handle EDPs and homeless go ahead nobody wanted those jobs anyway right you got saddled with them because nobody else wanted to do it so go ahead and do it you You're know not- who just lands on the backs of the, and, and when you use the phrase underworked and overpaid no one fits it better than New York City EMS if you were on yeah. a patrol you know Tremendous. we yeah. all felt the same thing EMS they worked too hard they were not paid enough. And that's who this has fallen on. An EDP call, they're the first ones through the door. You remember, they used to wait outside for us. And then we were going together. They're the ones that are going to be leading the way through the door now. But John, I mean, it's untenable what they're doing. These are not practitioners making these policy decisions. No, but I'm just saying EDPs and homeless people are some of the most dangerous Yes, volatile. And and these social worker types are just like, oh, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Who's the one that needs, uh, okay, you're coming over a radio call. Who uh, You're basing it on the 911 operator, whether it's violent or nonviolent. Now we're going to, okay, so it's it's nonviolent. So now you're going to, you're going to have to have a sector car drive that clinician over there. Yeah. Because the the radio said it was nonviolent. And now you're going to get over there and somebody's running out after you with a knife. Three, so what four, are you going to do? Three, four, Adam, can I get one of those violence interrupters, please? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's going to be the next step. I'm not a violence interrupter for you. Violence interrupters are in backlog. Here's your violence interrupter right here. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. You know, I mean, it was an old pro that could talk a guy into cuffs, a guy that was ready to blow. And that's only after wrestling with guys 20 times over 10 years that you could get to that point where you could talk that guy into cuffs, you know? These people have, they're in their classrooms drawing up these ideas and they've been empowered now to direct our actions. And it's really scary. 
It's Very just scary. frightening. Because I don't so, think they care if a cop gets hurt or killed. I no, don't. not at all. Oh, yeah. No way. No know. way. No, no way. That's well, that's, like, he knows this cop knows it's a dangerous job. He shouldn't have taken this job. You know? Wow. Wow. That's, that's how really they exciting. think, though. That's how they yeah. think. You know, there's another procedure. That, <laughs> that I just want to bring this one up because it's so ridiculous. They want to keep guys with riot helmets off the set, basically. <laughs> Here's the, here's the language. To the extent NYPD deems the assignment of specialized units or officers in riot gear or hard uniforms potentially necessary to protest response, it should stage those officers in nearby areas not visible to protesters for deployment only if necessary. You know what? All, in all fairness, I was in the task force, and that's what we used to do. We used to park a, a couple of blocks away. Yes, Mark, you're right. We're doing that anyway. And then they used to walk over. The captain, and if shit was really hitting the fan, they'd be like, what are you guys doing sitting here? It's fucking yeah. going crazy over there. Yeah. Hey, listen, talk to our captain. Nobody told us to well, come but, to get out of the You're right. Yeah, they, but how about that lieutenant that got hit in the head with a brick? What if he wasn't wearing a helmet? You know what? You know what's funny? 213 in the patrol guy building is a disorder section. And there's a line that's been in there for decades. Mandates you have your helmet with you at the scene of a disorder but you didn't have to have it on your person. Here's the phrase, you might remember it, within sight and sound of the of the disorder. Meaning you could leave it in a bodega, you could leave it, you know, that was in a patrol guide. And it's like Mark said, we would stage the task force around the corner. Quick story. The Audubon Theater on 165 of Broadway. I know it well. They were gonna tear it down and make a skyscraper, but it's where Malcolm X was killed. So the locals came out and said, no, no, it should be historical. They came to an agreement. They kept the facade. But anyway, they're out there protesting this one day. And I'm in the task force. They got us at the bottom of the hill on Fort Wash. You know, it's a big hill that goes up, right? Yep. So we're on Fort Wash. You can't see Broadway. Broadway can't see you. But we got guys like 30 guys in helmets out here in case it goes bad. This kid, I'll never forget, Tony Acosta was his name. He was a rookie in 3-4. He went on to be a super cop. But he's in, he's in Wendy's on the corner. Is a Wendy's there? He's walking out. Or McDonald's. Of, McDonald's. Yeah. No, it's a Wendy's. On Broadway? Yeah, 165, Southwest Corner. Oh, 165, okay. So he's got the bags of food in his hand. And this, this woman comes running up. The guy just robbed me. He's got a gun. He's right there. The guy sees Tony. Holy shit. He throws it. He takes off. The guy runs across 165 down towards Fort Wash. Tony gets on the air. Oh, you had to see the look on this guy's face. He comes over the crest of the hill, it's 30 fucking guys in helmets in front of him. It was hysterical. Oh, man. That's a bad day. You know, yeah, for him, that, yeah. That reminds me like an anti-crime when you'd have the block sealed and you're watching and you had anti-crime cops at both ends of the block and they'd do a stick up in the middle of the block and they'd come running and you're just waiting for them and they're running right towards you. It's such a great feeling to see two robbers running to you and they're yeah, all... And yeah. you're, and I'm like, oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> I love Good that. Stuff, that was the best feeling in the world, man. <laughs> so, this- right, let me tell you about my favorite collars. Let's talk about your favorite collars. My favorite collars. My favorite collar ever was I made an armed bank robbery collar with a sawed-off M1 in the 2.0. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, that's where the money is, right? And I was off duty. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Geez, wasn't there was a guy in the two six with us, Billy? He got killed doing that. Who was what that? Was oh, what was Keith? Keith something. He got made sergeant with us. Uh, Keith Levine, you mean? 
Wasn't it down in the tomorrow? Didn't he get shot and killed off? Yeah, he got, in Midtown, he got shot and killed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Remember that guy in the 2-6 fronts, Jerome? Yes, I do. He had a twin brother who was a security guard at Columbia Presbyterian. Did he shoot a guy? In the yeah, he shot a guy and yeah. paralyzed him in the 4-4, and the guy sued him and got money. Right. And, and the guy had a, a, a Mac 1, and he shot it at him. Wow. He still sued and got money. That's the wow. money. He was a solid guy, Franz Jerome. He, he had a twin brother. Guy. He was a great yeah. guy. He was a Caribbean guy. He had that great accent. Yes. Yaman. Yaman. Uh, sergeant. <laughs> yeah, he was a good, solid man. Solid man. Yeah. Good, man. I remember that, dude. That's a long time ago, man. Yeah, 89, 90, 91. Yeah. 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 So where do we go from here with this job? What do you think is going to happen? It's going to get worse and worse, you think? You know, I'm, I'm so surprised, man. I thought that the pendulum had swung its, its apex and had returned, you know? I really did think that. And, uh, you know, Bloomberg, one thing that Bayer Bloomberg did very well, and thank God he was there as long as he was, he left the police department alone. Yes. And he let, he let the police commissioner run the police department because he was smart enough to know that he didn't know. And then this guy comes in, and I understand he micromanages. I'm not there. I can't tell you exactly. But you see that guy, Pachado, stormed out, basically, you know? Yeah. Well, the guy calling a three-star chief. The mayor was calling a three-star chief directly. Where are you? That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You got to leave that to the people that know how to do that, you know? Uh, I don't know where Pachado was a young guy, too. He's like yeah. 42, 43 years old, I think, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know him. That's fast to become yeah. a chief of patrol, right? Listen, how did it turn around the last time? It turned around because it became untenable to live and work in the city. That's People right. were sick and tired. It would, it's going to take a really long time for it to get there. And you know what's scary about that is the people who suffer from that, who had enough the last time around and elected Giuliani, those people are not listened to. They're not being listened to now. They don't want this. This is purely a political movement. It's not a grassroots movement. It's a political movement. It's an ideology. It's not based on what the people living in the neighborhoods in the city want. But it's it's also national. It's not just the yeah. Neighborhood you're right. Because yeah, also, yeah. you know what's yeah. following this report? The state's report. Letitia James is doing I one know, too. I know. I know. Well, there's another hit job coming from the state, and Andrew Cuomo, the family bridge namer. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like another hit job's coming from the state. So what do they want? I don't know. They want somebody to blame it on, <laughs> you know, any, any complaints, uh, we could always blame it on the police. And you know what, listen, shame on all the people that bail out and leave, because those are the people that could have made a difference. The people with the money could have said, no, 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 we, we don't want this. I'm not going to donate to you to, to your campaign. Um, and let me tell you something right now. You're only as good as your tentacles and your tentacles. If you're a politician or your, or your police force, and we're getting at a point right now with this COVID and the dine and the restaurants and stuff like that, where the vaccine's going to catch up to you. I don't care how much power you've been wielding all this time. They're going to give you three months with the vaccine and they're going to, they're going to open up. They're going to be like, you should have been vaccinated by now. We're opening up regardless of who the, what the mayor says and where the numbers at. Once the vaccine's been out there three or four months, they're going to peek their head up. There's no line. All right. We're going to open up. That's it. It's over. So they got to stay ahead of it because at that point right now, you don't really have, you can't use your police for, look, how did they get that guy in Staten Island out of his bar? They used the sheriff's department. 
how do they get the how do they get the people over here? They're using different because the the, the local police, the, the sheriff's department wouldn't do nothing for Cuomo upstate. They said we're not gonna enforce your, your stupid turkey day nonsense. You know, so, maybe that's one way around this going forward. The title sheriff is very, very different position outside of New York City. You know, a police leader has to answer to whoever the municipal elected official is, the mayor, whoever they are. They have to take their orders for them. They serve it the pleasure of, right? Sheriffs are very different. They are the elected official. They don't answer to anybody out across this country. New York City, it's very different. But uh, could you imagine running for, running a campaign to become the police commissioner of New York City? Wouldn't that be interesting? Oh and that God. and that person then did not have to answer to the mayor or to the city council? I mean, you know, sheriffs wield a lot of power out of the city. No, but, you know, John, they want more civilian involvement in the police department at the upper echelon of the police department. Oh, and they have it already. That's really, another you know, one of their recommendations in this 20 recommendations they came up oh, with. Oh, is it? Yeah. They are, they're, you know what? They're looking at things that we're doing progressively ourselves. And saying you should do this. Meanwhile, we, we're doing it already. Right. But you know, you know what I wanted to say. One real scary thought was, and everyone saw this. Warrants was out on the street, and they grabbed like two or three guys in the midst of the of the protest, and it was a textbook arrest. It was beautiful, and oh yeah, so Blasio objected to it. And these, right. these snowflakes all like, oh my god! But not the law, everybody. Not hey. That's we're gonna make press went away. That we're gonna make you, like you gotta announce to the whole town. We're gonna make an arrest. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's okay. Listen, listen. I remember I was, that one. They pulled him out of a car at a stoplight or something. It was right? beautiful. It was, it was absolutely arrest. perfect. Yes. yes. And you know what? It's completely legal. But that's why you have to change. Listen, the guy's got one more year to continue to destroy. The backlash on that call you just talked about did not last more than a couple of hours in the press. They Everybody understood. Well, the Wait. press wanted to jump on it like the... But they weren't able to. They realized the substance was not there for them to feed on. Right. Remember, the criticisms went away very quickly on that. Well, but it just goes to show you where the mindset's at. It's like... Well, wait a minute. Well, yeah, we know that. Yeah. did arrest people like that. That wasn't fair. They didn't have a chance to fight back. Right, right. <laughs> talking about strategy. You're talking about making an apprehension with a plan, you know? And unfortunately, they don't want you winning in these situations. Yeah. It's yeah. ironic because then they want to use you. Um, like, for example, all these stupid things that de Blasio puts down, um, you can't use the restaurant in the neighbor in in the restaurant, right? You can't use the bathroom in the in the in the restaurant that you're eating at outdoors, and then he sits there with a smug on his face. Oh yeah, that was a mistake. I'm sure. That, meanwhile, you fucked up these people's business for a whole two days. You made them cover all it. the nonsense they created outside. If you look, they built a restaurant <laughs> outside of their restaurant because they can't sit in the restaurant because. I don't know. So now you're sitting outside in a in a in this in a, in, a, in a contained area with your own heater, breathing your own air in. It's just the guy doesn't know what he's doing, and uh, it's just a matter of time. I'm telling you, three months of this vaccine out, and no matter what this guy says, nobody's going to listen, and you're going to have bedlam. He's got to stay ahead of it. Well, we'll see about that. I hope you're right in some ways. I'm telling you, they've had yeah. just about enough. I don't know how much money they're going to get from this new stimulus package, the the small business owner, but it can never be enough. So 
maybe you're just giving them enough money to close the doors and let somebody else get a crack at it when when things open up. Well, you know what's scary, like what you said a little while ago about uh, this anti-police movement. It's national. It's national. Well, it's, it's across the country. States. It's it's national in blue states, and they're, they're not in many of them. You're talking about Oregon, Minneapolis, uh, New York, L.A. But where look at New York and L.A. People are bailing out in droves. Did you see Biden? Did you see Biden at one point during his campaign? I'm not knocking him, but he said something about police reform. He was asked a question and, and, and he said, well, why can't maybe we'll just teach him to shoot them in the leg. Right, oh, my knee. God. That's like that. He doesn't realize that is the, the, the sentence that we use to illustrate the ignorance of people who've never been in a shooting right. or have never been trained as a cop right. like yeah. that. That's the quintessential banner statement to show ignorance. And he actually said it. I couldn't believe well, it. Well, I don't know if you ever even heard some of this, the rhetoric that Cuomo comes out with. He really hates the police. I, I'm surprised at that, too. Well, yeah, he really does. I don't understand it. And you know, like, like the coward he is, he pulled the state police out because he was afraid if they get involved in these protests, it'll come back to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, they, and the state police well, all over the city till the riots happened, then he pulled them out. Well, part of that is compression law, too. You know, I told you I'm on that case. I just read all the affidavits from the surrounding departments. And they've directed their people. We're not going into the city if we're going to be subject to that law. Right. You'll be arrested for doing yeah. your job. And it happens upstate as well. Yeah, and Yonkers, too. Yonkers pulled out, too. They won't come into the city. There's, there's, yeah. a, there's a law that just came out. What was it? Chasing no, well, the state passed its law. But the state law... It has a fairly high bar. It says if you crush someone's diaphragm or, or cut off their breathing and cause serious physical injury or death, you'll be charged. So, and it has to be done intentionally. Listen, we're wrestling around with a guy. We're trying to get him in cuffs. People have no idea how hard that can be. Right. Even a little person can give you a hell of a fight. And if you inadvertently crush their diaphragm for just a moment and don't even cause injury, you're under arrest, officer. Right. That's what New York City has written. The state law is bad, but at least the bar is high enough where it's intentional and has to result in serious physical injury of death. We can work within that. So what are the chances of reversing this New York City law? You know what, Billy? I, I, they asked for the junction and were told no. But in saying no, the judge opened a door on a small piece. That's the piece I'm working on right now. Uh, is it possible? It's possible. You know what will happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. They'll amend it. They'll amend it. The guy that wrote it is screaming and yelling. To amend it is to, is to you know, shut down the authority of the city council. Uh, it has to be amended. They're not. I don't think they'll get it thrown out entirely like the unions but want. John, how many members of the city council or legislators? How many of them have law degrees? None of them. I don't know, Billy. Well, how I, are they I, legislating listen. shit from the city council? Well, this is legislating. You know, it's like, look, when a lawyer has a case, Whatever field it's in, they hire an expert. Let's say it's an engineering thing. Well, I got to hire an engineer because I know how to be a lawyer. I know how to go to court and handle all this. I don't know anything about engineering. I need a subject matter expert, they call it, right? It's a medical malpractice. Well, I need a doctor in here. Get me an expert doctor because I don't know. They know enough to say, I don't know exactly the details of that profession. They don't see us as a profession. Right. They don't see police work for what it is. It's something that you, you really need to be trained. A lot of, a lot of experience. We're not doctors, we're not engineers, but you know what? We know what we're doing, and you don't believe that, so you think that you can just Bigfoot in, 
direct our actions and you have no idea what you're talking about. But yet they're always calling for more training. More and yeah, more. right. Yeah. Yeah. But they're really not serious about that because no, they're not serious. And they don't even know what training that means. you have to take the cop off the road for a long time. And that's yeah. what training is. And they're not yeah. willing to do that. Therein lies the rub. Yeah. Want to train yeah. these guys? You're going to train them six months out of the year to work six months. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. You're going to yeah. double the police force. And they so want them to do unbelievably psychological things like predict who of those two people is an anarchist and which one is just exercising his first amendment. You have to be able to see that with your eyes. You if know, you can't do that, you're not you're uh, properly trained, you know? Remember the Funhouse? I don't know what they call it now. I'm sure it's not the Funhouse anymore, but yeah. uh, bring these people in. I know that they do bring civilians in and let them take a run through it, right? Yeah. They should do. That should be required. You get elected to the city council, you got to go to Robin's Neck, go through the Funhouse. You know? It should be mandatory for them. And understand just how difficult this is, and that it is truly a profession. You know what yeah, I said to a lady the other day? This policing itself has more. We have gone from a blue collar job to a white collar profession in our professional lifetime. Billy and Mark, think about this. When you came out, I graduated high school in 1979. John Jay was the only college you could go to and take courses in criminal justice, let alone get a degree, right? Today, You'd be hard pressed to find a, a, an educational institution that doesn't at least offer classes, if not a degree, in our field. Educational mandates went in for promotion in our day. Billy, we were the first ones in 88 where you had to have college credits to right. be a sergeant, right? And that then a the college credit. degree to be a sergeant. Well, look, well, look no, you, you needed 64 credits, 96 to be a lieutenant, bachelor's degree to be a captain. Those mandates were put in place in 1988 in New York City. All across the country, this trend has been increasing. A lot of the smaller departments, you have to have a bachelor's degree before they'll hire you. Yeah, but that's the irony of it all, because now you're yelling and spitting and, and cursing somebody's whole family. And that guy is college educated, just like you or more. Yeah. yeah. So you're not yelling at a blue collar worker anymore. Yeah. You know what the I'm whole, saying? The, so all the has deeper, evolved. This whole idea of somebody, you know, um, you know, this is a blue collar worker, an idiot. He's a kid. He doesn't know anything more than me. Well, he's most of them that get two years wind up getting four years and then they come on the job or they yeah. finish their bachelor's. You got a lot of college graduates out there right now. Yeah. And it's not just a spitting in the face at the at the protest line. It's sitting in places like the offices of the DOI writing that report without considering the idea that maybe we should talk to the experts in the field, if not the actual practitioners. And actually, if it's tenable, is this something that we can't? No, that, that would only make sense. That is where science right. comes in. But they don't want to believe science if it goes against their ideology. Right. right. The very term police science, makes it just upsets them. They don't believe don't it should be even called that. I don't understand why the, the job uh, cowers, uh, you know, to, to uh, these politicians. Like, for example, Operation All Out, where they get the... the, the uh, the do nothing in the precinct to go out for a day and write a summons. Well, do that in one PP, but do that on the day where there's a protest and get all of them out and it'll change policy one. overnight. Everybody I, used to love, I used to love where the, the, the chief's bucket would go out and he'd be, the bucket would say, look, when I walk out, call me on the phone, say there's an emergency. And they wouldn't even reach the footpost. 
They yeah. would call it, oh, bring the bucket back, you know, and they'd be like, hey, I'd be like, it's so sick. Of but it. you know what? It's, isn't it true, though? When, when you when the shit hit the fan, you had to call for the duty count in the middle of the night. And it was some schmuck from headquarters who comes out once a month. Yeah. They're yeah. like, oh, That's no. True. Oh, no. We go back in. Go back in the building. We don't want this guy here. Right. He's, call, he's calling the DI to ask what to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, we're at an hour and 20 right now. I just want to, uh, we got to do our Patreon plug here. Uh, these are our mugs. If you're a Patreon subscriber right now, uh, you've got a mug. Hopefully, and if you didn't get it, it's the on the side. Police officer. And, um, <laughs> hold on one second. But this is, this is not, only, not only does it hold coffee, <laughs> it's a great coffee mug, but for some reason, don't ask me why, it holds the vodka just fine as well. That's um, microwave safe, right? Microwave safe. And we have right. uh, three tiers. Bill will tell you about them. Well, we have three tiers. The first tier costs $7 a month. And that actually is called the bucket. You heard me use that term, the bucket. You're the one that carries the bucket around. The second tier, which costs $9 a month, is called polish my rack. And you can actually see a picture of my, <laughs> my rack. My rack on the... Hey, the... look, can you see my rack, Billy? Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see, I see your rack. What do you got? A, a range medal? No. <laughs> you got a pistol shot I, medal? I'm freaking a rack a foot high, and it was nothing but the 1776 pistol shot, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Stacker, stacker, what you the call it. The third them. tier is the. I, had, I think I had 1770. No, go ahead. He's got to do a sales pitch. Go ahead. The third tier is the Premier Take course, $11 a month. And that, of course, is dipped in butter. So if you want yours dipped in butter, join <laughs> our Patreon, pay Any, 11 a month. We have some funny material. We have some great guests. And you'll well, not, not, But not that, not only that, Bill, but right now, I think we agreed on this, that if you join up and uh, sign on to our Patreon right now, between now and the new year, uh, you can sign up at any tier. We'll, we'll send you a mug. So you'll get your mug. And then, uh, obviously, we'll have uh, better gifts for our uh, 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 dipped in butter guys. Uh, we have uh, we have plans. We're making plans. Yeah, what do I get for this? Do I get a mug? <laughs> Bill, well, you get I'll one send you a mug. You Joe Kane got a mug. How come Joe Kane gets a mug? I don't get a mug. Because he's dipped in butter. <laughs> <laughs> you. You, Mr. He pays 11 a month. He joined up after he became uh, a guest on the Thanks show. for that, Bill, because he's never going to live that down. <laughs> you, live, you live in a suburb inside of a suburb. There you go. Love <laughs> New York, my man. I love it. Well, thank you for being a guest with us, John, tonight. My uh, pleasure, really. John, John you're great. You have to come so. back because you you have your your finger on the pulse of this job, your finger yeah. on the pulse of this city. We'd love to have you come I wouldn't back. even get to tell any war stories. No, I, next time we'll tell I'm war taking stories. This, I'm taking this line with me. I want to help you because I'm, I'm building up a school. It's a kind of comedy school. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, the COVID kind of put a dent in it, so I've been tutoring clients but I, I i share your enthusiasm but my enthusiasm is towards uh i want to i want to share my comedy knowledge my 23 years of comedy knowledge with up-and-comers how to get paid quicker so uh make, uh, doing your stand-up comedy so that's what i'm going to be starting but uh you know i might give you a call one of these days and pick your brain about oh, uh yeah. things I, I i should probably do before i actually launch the thing but uh yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm very impressed with what you did with the school, man. That's that's amazing. Thanks. Thanks. You know, that's well, amazing. The, the school's called the key, in case yeah. we haven't said that. The key. Yeah. The key. Yeah. yeah. All right. All the best to you, John. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Good. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. 
<laughs> I don't think we're doing whatever they say in Ireland. I don't know. We're, we're not. We're not doing, we're not doing a, a, a Christmas Eve show, are we? No. All right. So we'll be back. When are we coming yeah. back? That Monday, I guess. I don't know. Right. You got my address to mail me the mug, right, Bill? Yeah. Well, no, you got to send uh, text it to me. Yeah, yeah, I was just joking. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, I'm leaving now. First, join our eleven dollar month Patreon. You have hey, oh, All right, I'll sign up. I'll sign up on the on the thing. Right. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. The well, show. We, needs Edmund, we have a police commissioner. We got Eddie Hartnett. We got a mogul. We got Joe Kane. You know these guys yeah, can pull so you know, This uh, the production value on the show is pretty high. You know because Bill posts up videos every once in a while. <laughs> And uh, stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I can, I can even and Billy's driving a Honda CRV. You know, it's tough, man. Hold on, hold it. Look at that. Look at that. That's some pretty fancy. Fucking hey, hey, how come I, I forgot all about that? We didn't even talk about the books. Look, hold oh, on man, a minute. We forgot about the books. Yeah, let's if you want, let's do some book covers. Let's cover let's do some books. books. Come on. The guns. Look, do I have to hold them up? Or are you gonna oh, hold on? Hold on. Wait for a second. Wait. Bill's got to get rid of the screen. Okay, now. Hold them up now. What do you got? You got two. No, books? you know what? I show you. Let me show you what I'm gonna do because I believe. Who's the host? Billy or Mark? I'm the Bill. host. Allow me to share screen. I, I, Are you able to do that? I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I have a feeling like we don't know how. Host to disabled. Do. Just go on to participants. Click Let's, on my name. Let's see. Right. It says more. Oh. Okay. No, it says stop live stream. I don't want to do that. Let's yeah, I think we should while we're ahead. Show the books this way. Go ahead, John. I, 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 should I click on your name now or more? There we go, more. Uh, rename allowed to record. Is that it or no? No, 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 no. no. Should I report you? That's what it's another thing it says. No, all right. No, maybe you can't line this yesterday. No, right. oh, yeah. Okay. Here's the, the the first one in the Jimmy Gallagher series. Head now, on. He dies hard. What is that about? Oh, it's a piss of a book, man. It's it's. You know what? I, I'll give you a quick idea. The word Caucasian comes from where? The Caucasus, which is a part of like you know Eastern Europe, and the people are Caucasian in appearance, like you and me, and they are devout Muslims. Oh. And it goes into this whole thing like. You know, the Russian mafia out in Brighton Beach is is paying for these Chechen rebels to come and, and they're going to be imposters because the Arabs are paying them millions of dollars and they walk through the checkpoint because we're racial profiling. Like, no, oh, these guys are all right. They're not Arabs looking to blow this thing up. And it all goes sideways. It ends up, remember the movie Die Hard? It's like Die Hard on the Queen Mary in New York Harbor at the end. It's a lot of fun. It's fast. It's a pistol for book. Everybody that, listen, there's guys in our circles that if the book suck, they either wouldn't answer my calls or they would tell me, John, you know what? The book suck, right? I, honest to God, they tell me it's good. I believe them, you know? And this is the second one in the series. Can you see that? The, the Guns, Guns of, of Antwerp. Antwerp. The Guns of NYPD Antwerp. NYPD takes Boston. Oh, it gets really good. A little bit of history there, too, about that. You know, the IRA, the PLO were in bed together in the 70s. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it builds off that. And then between New York and Boston, it was a stash of guns that were supposedly hidden up there. And uh, same characters, same cast of characters. And, uh, oh, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I see two screenplays here. Oh, they make, they, they would. They, yeah. I mean, look, I don't have any connections. You ready? You know? 
You have a screenplay written already for the two of them? No, no, no. I'm just writing novels. Uh, well, no. I can see. I can see two. Uh, listen, uh, we'll we'll talk. Uh, listen, we, uh, you know what? It need? I need a connection. I had an agent ten years ago, and she was top level. You know, she Loretta Barrett was her name, and uh, she got the book, the first one, head on into the hands of uh, a senior editor at Simon and Schuster, who wanted the book. Apparently, the way it works these days, a lot of consolidation. There's only like four or five big publishers in the entire world. All these imprints you've heard of, Pocket, Bantam, they're all part of one house. There's only four houses in the world. Simon Schuster, senior editor, wanted the book. The way it works now is the senior editor sits at a conference table with a bunch of other senior editors once a month and pitches the ones he likes to the publishing executives who never read the book. So I got as far as that, and the publishing executives didn't buy into it because I was an unknown. She passed away from a brain tumor, my agent, and I haven't been able to land one since. I don't know what to do. These are good books. Honestly, God, they're good. You know, you know who just signed with Simon & Schuster? Do you know Barbara Butcher? She was the chief no. of the medical examiner's office. She just signed a book for uh, with uh, Simon & Schuster. Nice. Tell her story. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to help each other out. Um, we'll have you back on the show. If we keep the show going much longer, we're going to go into 2021. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean this episode or your, your podcast? Well, no, this episode. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about police work next time. All right. Thanks a lot, Jack. Thanks a lot, Thank John. You. Great having right, you. Thank you. Great having you.